The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Well, let's start in Parliament because the Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon has been responding to these allegations made by the former ESCOM CEO Andre Dereta. Have you read his book yet? I haven't read it. I got sent a copy yesterday. I plan to read it. I'll let you know what I think once I have read it. But um, today, Pravin Gordon has been speaking about these claims that were made by Dereta. He says that he uh, that Dereta did share information about the senior politician uh, involved in corruption. So Gordon's been responding to that today, saying Dereta did not discuss that investigation by George Fivers, the so-called Dereta project, with him. He has been questioning whether Dereta recorded conversations that he had, saying he was more interested in writing a book that uh, would mask his legacy in terms of performance, as far as ESCOM is concerned. Um, he did make a very big admission over Chancellor House and Hitachi about the line between party and state as well. My impressions uh, have been that Pravin Gordon largely looks quite quite defeated today at having to defend the ANC. But let's speak to Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN parliamentary reporter, about this. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Pravin Gordon has been responding to the allegations by Andre Dereta. Give us a sense of what he's been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, you will remember that when Scopus set out to probe these claims, it was all about that interview that Dereta gave ENCA in February, and now it's become all about the book that you've just mentioned. Even though the minister says he never or hasn't yet read the book, I don't know if he intends to, he's taken obviously a very dim view, uh, as you pointed out, saying really questioning uh, whether Dereta was recording conversation, taking notes after everything that was happening, and how invested he really was in running the company, or was this all about uh, writing a book? And so you can imagine the minister taking, uh, not, not taking this very well uh, and saying that maybe Dereta had to be more humble and maybe use his book, Mandy, to explain to the nation or apologize to the nation why he didn't succeed in his job rather than use it uh, as uh, an escape or um, trying to make excuses for his shortcomings. But Mandy, an interesting point that is being raised here um, as discussions continue is this issue of whether Dereta may have breached his confidentiality um, clauses in his employment contract uh, in writing this book because he would obviously at the time still have been in the employ of ESCOM. But let's just take a listen to what Pravin Gordon has told the committee on that score. I think uh, the CEO has gone, done two things that should be noteworthy. First is the contract that he signed as a self-proclaimed champion of corporate governance and as the only person in town who understands the role of various uh, institutions and people within a co- corporate governance uh, contact, uh, context. There's a clause 15 in his contract that he signed when he was employed uh, as CEO, which requires confidentiality in terms of the affairs of the institution that he served. In no big institution like Eskom, in the private sector, would you have a CEO who has left for whatever reason, going and writing chapter and verse about events that have been taking place within the company itself. 
And that's the question, right? Did Andre Duret breach confidentiality by releasing this book? We know it was released under cloak and dagger. Uh, I know that uh, there's a lot being said about how it was dropped and uh, the secrecy around it, although many people knew it was actually coming. Um, And then Andre Duret has also, um, of course, referred to the investigations. We know about this George Fivers-led investigation uh, that that has emerged. Pravin Gordon speaking about that today and the fact that Andre Dureta stoked uh, some some fear around this as well. Yes, Mandy. And so, as I said, when you know this um, pro-bioscope started, it was all about this investigation about these politicians. We seem to have lost sight of the fact that this all started with these politicians that everybody wanted named. And again, Pravin Gordon throwing that ball back at those who are making the claim, saying this investigation that was conducted by the um, company of the former police commissioner um, really casting doubt about its credibility, saying it's untrue and that the former board chairperson, Malakapur, who was here last week, had presented misleading information to this committee about what um, Pravin Gordon's alleged involvement in this. Um, Gordon said he had certainly not given Andre Dureta the go-ahead to go and conduct um, private uh, intelligence uh, operations when he made certain remarks that were being referred to. He was, uh, that was in relation to a specific incident and also saying that Dureta had not told him about this investigation um, until six months had passed and certainly um, it was not something that was sanctioned by him. Again, saying he hadn't seen this report, the information is not credible or verified and for that reason he also was not going to name these politicians uh, and really again um, casting aspersions on Andrew Dureta's motives saying that um, his interview and his book has really um, taken South Africa back to the apartheid days and those so-called what far tactics. Here's what he had to say on that, Mandy. He seems to have uh, remembered for some reason, in particular the 1980s, and taken the country back to Swat Kafar tactics by labeling all of us mm. as communists, as people who are mindless, as people for whom the hammer and sickle must be drawn in our parking bays, uh, which is the worst insult that anyone can cast on South Africans who want this country to work, who want Eskom to work, who want load shedding to end, and who want to mobilize capacity within Eskom, within government, and within society as a whole in order to make sure that the right things are done. Pravin Gordon there responding to Andre Dureta's allegations. Thank you to Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN parliamentary reporter for that. And and as Pravin Gordon has been saying, uh, he's responded to the allegation that Dureta made about that minister who said some must eat. Uh, Gordon saying he would never say that. Uh, he would never tolerate that kind of behavior. If there is evidence about corrupt, corrupt activity, you must pay the price. Uh, he says that Dureta's narrative is that the only hero in South Africa is Dureta and the rest of us are fools, the rest of us are in nappies. What do you think about how Pravin Gordon is responding? If you've read Andre Dureta's book, let me know what you think. Those who have read it have told me it is uh, very revealing about the networks of corruption. It's very insightful about what happens in government. But do you think it was the right thing for him to do? Was the timing questionable again? Um, is it something you want to read? And how do you how do you respond to how Pravin Gordon has defended himself? At the end of the day, We are still in stage six load shedding.
The Midday Report. In the High Court in Joburg today, President Cyril Ramaphosa and the former President Jacob Zuma, their lawyers are squaring off today. They are not actually, Cyril Ramaphosa is not actually there today. And this is because the former president is accusing the current president of being an accessory after the fact in this private prosecution. Remember the private prosecution uh, of the state advocate Billy Downer and the News 24 journalist Karen Morn. It's all related to this. It all broke just on the eve of the ANC's Nazareth conference as well. So Ramaphosa wants the court summonses that were issued in December reviewed and set aside. So let's speak now to Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What exactly is the purpose of today's hearing? Well, essentially, Mandy, you'll remember in January, um, the president secured an interim incident halting the private prosecution proceedings from going ahead. And that was pending a review application, essentially to have the former president finally interdicted from um, privately prosecuting prosecuting him on on the same claims that he's currently that he's currently attempting to do. Um, and essentially if he's successful it'll see the private prosecution come to an end. So um I, I imagine Ramaphosa obviously is not there today. Former President Jacob Zuma, is he in court? He is in court. Um, he's accompanied by his daughter. There's also Mbonele Mani is in court. Um, Carl Niehaus is in court. It's quite a packed gallery today. But as you mentioned, the president, he's not here himself. When this, the story first broke in December, the sense was that it was a, a last-ditch attempt to discredit Ramaphosa ahead of the ANC electoral conference. Uh, is there a sense today that, that Zuma still is dealing with this with full force, full intention, or was it just a political play that didn't manifest in the way that it could have? Is he very intent on following this through? Well, one of um, one of Ramaphosa's grounds of review is that he says that this private prosecution was bought with an ulterior motive, um, essentially to serve Zuma's political ends. But Zuma insists this isn't this isn't so. And I mentioned a second ago that he wants um, the president finally, the former president at least, finally interdicted from prosecuting from prosecuting him on these claims, either now or in the future. And that's because the former president has actually indicated that if um, this current private prosecution is reviewed and set aside, then he will he will reinstitute the charges. Um, so he does seem dead set. He does seem adamant. He himself has insisted that there's no ulterior motive at play, and he rejects that, that line completely. Bernadette, thank you very much. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter. In court today, the former president, Jacob Zuma, also in the courtroom today as that matter between the former president and the current president plays out there around the private prosecutions. It's very confusing. You have a former president and a current president busy dealing with issues like this in the courtroom when there's so many other problems in the country. The Midday Report. So in the Senzo Miyua trial today, advocate Maricela Tefo, who was representing some of the accused, who is no longer representing any of the accused, is a disbarred advocate. He has been disbarred, appeared in robes before Judge Tefiwa Maumela, claiming to have a watching brief. He said that he was there on behalf of some members of the Miyua family and Orlando Pirates, and that's why he was there. Judge Tefiwa Maumela is also currently facing a request from uh, the Judicial Service Commission uh, dealing with issues around the fact that he has taken so long 
to uh, hand down judgments in other matters. So that's the context against which all of this is is playing. But have a listen to what happened earlier when Advocate Maricela Tefo tried to appear before Judge Baumela. Uh, like I said, let me put it in the right context. No. I'm not here to you, watch, to sit and watch. You are, you are, not, you are not going to address me. <laughs> I've been given instructions, several instructions by Sifiso Mayewa, the brother of the deceased, I've been given you, you are disturbing you are disturbing court. Please sit down or I will order that you be taken out. You are disturbing us. If you feel like that, you can do that. But you must know that you are depriving the right people who are affected by this. Yeah, yes. This witness is a of the great interest to Mr. Tefo, Mr. Tefo, sit down and allow Advocate Baloy to continue with what is of interest in this case, which is what I want to hear. There's a ruling for me to make, and time is of essence. I'm saying sit down and allow Advocate Baloy. This is an interruption, and it is rude, if you ask me. It is a rude interruption, which is unnecessary for our purposes. Every, the, you are not the only watching brief that was spoken about in this case. There's never been a watching brief here who has interrupted proceedings. I'm not, I'm not just watching. And watching briefs don't address court. On whose briefs. behalf are you, are, are, you, are you addressing me? I am not just watching briefs. I've got instructions. Mr. Mr. Tefo, please so step, was, sit down. If you don't sit down, if you address me, wasting time again. This is wild. Wild to have a disbarred advocate. Who's got a watching brief to address a judge like that? Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter in court for us. Khamotso, before we get into the actual issues of the trial, what happened there? Is Advocate Tefo still in the courtroom? Good afternoon, Mandy. You're right, it's wild. Um, he is still in the courtroom. He's seated uh, just behind his colleagues, uh, or his former colleagues, I should say, and listening to the matter. And uh, I think that's interesting because we know of another watching brief on this matter. Somebody was an actual watching brief, and that method he knew from who was told to leave the courtroom. Um, he was told that she can't be inside because her uh, client would actually take the stand at some point. So it's interesting that uh, this was an allowed to sit throughout proceedings together with Mm. Okay, so let's get to the real issue that's before the court today. Advocate Dan Rosengarten has been arguing for the media um, in the fact that there is a witness who doesn't want uh, her testimony to be broadcast live. The judge needs to make a decision here. What is the latest in that? Well, yeah, we've heard from um, Rosengarten really just arguing points around how this particular witness has actually failed to show that she's vulnerable as argued by the state. He's, uh, you know, even read from some of her own social media posts. I mean, there's one very interesting one from November last year where she says, you know, that she had a dream about how the media was kicked out of court. The media was not allowed to cover her testimony um, and that her dreams usually come true. And Rosengarten has pulled that particular post and another really, uh, to show that she's not shy. She doesn't seem like a, a person who's afraid or fearful um, for her life. Yeah, he's even spoken to how you know, he fails to prove to the court or show any evidence um, of, of why she should be, uh, why she would be afraid or uh, fearful for her life. So he's really arguing that and saying that the rules that currently stand, where the media is allowed to broadcast the voices of the of, the, of those testifying of the witnesses, but not their faces, should 
understand. He says there's absolutely no reason that's been brought before the court to show that that's not working. And um, we've, uh, he's been uh, really answering some concerns by Judge Maumela now to say, um, you know, if there are any uh, issues that he may need to clarify, he's more than willing to put it in the submissions, as the judge will now consider all the heads that have been filed. Khamoto, thank you very much. Khamoto Modise, EWN reporter, uh, bringing us the latest on the Senzo Miyua matter. I have been watching uh, in the courtroom, Advocate Mshalolo now on her feet addressing the judge as well. Let's have a quick listen in to what's happening there. Well, I can tell you nothing is happening because the judge is looking at his papers, busy writing down notes. Khamoto uh, is walking back into the courtroom. I can see her sitting down. Advocate Mishalolo back on her feet again. Uh, and let's listen now because she is speaking. Intending not to repeat what is contained in my heads of uh, arguments, my lord, but I'll just highlight few points and refer this honorable court to few paragraphs in the judgment of a uh, judge president in the case of uh, Pistorius in which the state has referred to this court to. But the citation is multi-choice, my lord, multi-choice limited, <coughs> combined artist production and media broadcasting versus the NDPP and Oscar P- Pistorius. My Lord, I'll be very brief because I have included my first point in my heads of argument to say, my Lord, the state ought to have brought a substantive application, my Lord. The reason why I'm repeating that submission, my Lord, it's because The state has failed to place before this court Sounds sounds like a finding. <laughs> no, it's not a finding. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Has failed to place before this court the circumstances, the nature and the extent of the relief sought or of the objection raised. Advocate Mshololo there making her argument uh, to the judge, uh, Tefiwe Maumela, there around media access. The Oscar Pistorius judgment is a crucial one in this matter. It's been referred to repeatedly uh, in which um, there, there was a request for the media not to broadcast his testimony. And we all know what happened there. And that's why the defense advocates here very much using that as an argument for the fact that this witness's testimony should be broadcast. The Midday Report.
So Pravin Gordon, uh, it seems, has finished uh, giving uh, his evidence before Scopa in Parliament today. He did say that he'd have to leave because he had to go to another uh, briefing on SAA. So uh, that's finished for now. But what is happening in Parliament, or what should be happening in Parliament, is the inquiry into the suspended public protector, Bosisiwe Mkobane. That is continuing again today. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, watching that for us. Babalo, what's the latest in the inquiry? Yes, indeed, Mandy. The, the Section 1 and 4 inquiry continuing today, um, but another wasted day, Mandy. Um, Kwebane back again without her attorneys, um, but this time the issue is not really about money. It's about, because um, there is $4 million that was made available. The issue is really about an administrative, administrative failure to get her legal representation in time for today's okay, where she's supposed to give further evidence. And we know that Sianeho has stated that they're no longer representing her, and um, she says Sianeho is her first choice should the, the, the committee and parliament get to the point where they do get her legal representation. She says Sianeho is her first choice, but if not, she named another law firm and that she says she'd prefer instead of you know the, the, the state law attorney. But she did also say to the committee, because um, the committee is also um, paying for um, the evidence leaders, and she's saying they should also consider using that budget that they pay the evidence leaders to also consider using that budget to pay for her legal representation. Um, so the matter is still under consideration, but the, the, the committee has briefly, well, has adjourned um, until a later date to be confirmed, Mandy, <clears throat> because of this administrative failure hmm. to get legal representation. And Committee Chairperson Richard Janji informing the committee at the end that, you know, he should really take responsibility for this delay and that he will be informing, you know, um, in, in due course when the next appearance will be while they try to sort out this matter of legal representation from Kwebane urgently. But, but pretty astonishing that we saw so far into the inquiry and yet we're stuck on this point around her legal representation. So just to clarify, is the problem that she hasn't actually got lawyers on brief because she hasn't been able to pay them yet or the lawyers haven't agreed to be on brief? What's the sticking point? Well, the point, well, the point she did make is that, you know, the reason why we have this um, impasse or this quagmire, as she called it, is because of a letter sent by advocate, acting public protector, Kolega Kaleka, where she first, you know, instructed that or informed Sianeho attorneys that they won't be paying them any further. And Sianeho later, in the letter to the committee, says, according to our understanding, our involvement in this matter was terminated effective on the 31st of March, 2023, and the position remained clear even on the 3rd of May. So Sianeho informing the committee that they're no longer representing in Kwebane and they can't come explain to the committee because they, they've got privilege. And so uh, this matter is, is basically that Sianeho is no longer representing her okay. and Kwebane just, just needs to get a new team of attorneys and that's what, where we are at the moment, Mandy. Babalo, thanks for explaining that. Uh, Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter with the latest on the now stalled inquiry into the public protector's fitness to hold office. The Midday Report. It's a quintessential South African news day today because you've got a, a minister appearing in parliament speaking about a failed power utility and corruption allegations. You've got a former president and a current president fighting with each other in a court. You've got a disbarred advocate who's trying to prevent a murder trial from going ahead. And then also, because it's a quintessential South African news day, you have a former mayor appearing in court as well being charged with fraud. So the former Tswane mayor, Marunwa Makwarela, appearing at the Pretoria Specialized Commission 
Commercial Crimes Court for his charges of fraud, charged with producing a fake rehabilitation court notice in order to keep his job as mayor. Doesn't get more South African than that, right? Tabiso Gorba, EWN reporter in court for us today. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Uh, tell us about the appearance in court today of Murunwa Makwarela. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, yes, he has um, appeared. It was a relatively short um, appearance. Um, he did appear, um, you know, he was wearing a crystal neck. Look, I'm shaven, um, you know, his, um, his hair is starting to grow, which is a very new look for him. Um, but um, he did appear with a new legal team. Now, remember, Mandy, that um, last, uh, the last time that he appeared, there was an issue with his legal team. They were saying that um, they couldn't reach him and they had not received any financial instructions from him, meaning that they haven't been paid. So he did appear today with a new legal team. Um, so the, the advocate, Advocate Justice Nisi, he says um, they are planning to make an application um, to, to relax some of his bail conditions. You remember that his bail conditions is that he cannot leave uh, the province of of, uh, of Kualteng and that he's not allowed to speak to people um, in the municipality. So uh, obviously until we see that application, we're not exactly sure uh, what, um, what, what he wants to be relaxed. But um, the, the, the state prosecutor um, says that they are going to be opposing um, that application. The state prosecutor also says that, you know, they are ready to proceed with trial. They have every, they have all the affidavits and all the evidence, so they are ready to proceed with trial. However, obviously, these, uh, these pre-trial games um, that uh, Maguire is playing um, are obviously taking precedence for now. Tobiso, thank you very much. Tobiso Goba, EWN reporter. Maruno Makurela and Busisiwe Mgwebane, same WhatsApp group. They're both having problems with their lawyers and, and paying their lawyers. Um, is this a tactic? Are, you know, do people just do this because it buys them time uh, or is it legitimate, the fact that they're trying to sort out the, the payment and having lawyers on brief? I know it is a complicated thing, but the former Tuana Mayor Maruno Makurela appearing at the Specialised Commercial Crimes Court in Pretoria today, facing uh, charges of fraud. And as we heard from Tobiso there, the state ready to proceed with the case against him. The Midday Report. Well, it's today in the courts because an ANC councillor accused of raping a 15-year-old boy in the northwest, making his second appearance in court today. Uh, this uh, case has also, to a degree, been politicised. The Economic Freedom Fighters has waded in here. The Secretary General of the EFF attending proceedings as well. Protests expected outside of the courtroom. Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, is there for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Tell us about the, the court appearance of the ANC councillor. Good afternoon. Yes, Mandy, as you've mentioned, an ANC councillor at the Matomotana city in the northwest has appeared in court today. And we can't name him, of course, because he has raped young boys who are minors. So to protect those victims, we can't name the, the, the councillor. But he made his second appearance at the, at the magistrate's court today. And his case has been postponed to the 26th of next and what is understood at this moment is that he's trying to make a bail application but the NPA has mentioned that he is not going to uh, uh, the, the NPA is not going to is going to oppose that bail application uh, basically uh, and I can tell you Mandy that I managed to speak to some of uh, the victim family members now just to give you some context these are 15 year old boys who were raped by this counselor and the videos were so, uh, uh, circulated on social media with their faces and everything. So I've spoken to the family and they are saying that they've been very, very hurt and traumatized by, by, 
what has happened and seeing that video, man, you can imagine seeing your own child on social media being sexually uh, 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 violated by a, a person who you call a religious leader and a, a community leader and counselor. Uh, so I managed to speak to the family and let's take a listen to what they had to say. But it is in uh, Setswana. So just to translate what is happening there, many they are saying that uh, he did not rape that boy only. There were three other boys who were also raped alongside the 15-year-old boy. Hmm. Alpha, thank you for bringing us uh, that audio. Uh, what's the situation like outside court? I understand the EFF are planning protests and the EFF Secretary General expected to attend. Yes, Mandy, the EFF is here. There's also various other political parties that are here, like the AINC uh, and the F4SD, uh, Forum for Service Delivery, that are here. And they've been picketing here since 7 o'clock this morning, basically here to voice their frustrations over what has transpired with this councillor. The EFF Deputy Secretary General uh, Pope Imailula has attended and has been uh, voicing her frustrations also. She did mention that the party has been giving counseling to the victims of some of, uh, to some of the victims of this man. You would understand, Mandy, that these victims are only 15 years old and of course this is going to affect the, the, their whole life. It's going to affect them at school, it's going to change their lives. So some sort of counseling is needed for these boys and the EFS says it has provided that counseling mm. for them. Alpha, thank you very much. Alpha Ramoshwana, who is in the Northwest, uh, where that ANC councillor is appearing in court today. The Midday Report. But at the end of the day, we are still dealing with stage six of load shedding. There are also various power outages. I know that the majority of, uh, of a lot of people on this team on the Midday Report have been affected by power outages over the last couple of days. Isaac Mankena, City Power Spokesperson, joining us now. Isaac, uh, good afternoon to you. What is the picture in the city of Joburg, aside from load shedding, uh, when it comes to faults as well? Good afternoon, Mendian. Good afternoon to the listeners. Yes, um, as the city, we are also basically feeling the pressure in terms of the outages, especially recently with the inclement weather, but also the entire stages of load shading really do not assist us as our equipment basically fails every time there is load shading. We are basically trying our best to ensure that we there is minimal disruptions on the lives of our residents. Um, with more teams basically uh, pushed into most of these SDCs, especially the problematic ones, including Rudeport, Rembeck, um, and even the Hestil area where we've had instances where residents had to, you know, go for several eight days without electricity. What is the extent of some of these outages? Uh, usually you're able to, to give us a sense of how many faults have been logged. Uh, is it getting worse, Isaac? Um, in fact, we are recovering from the backlog of last week. So you remember last week we were hovering around 4,000 outage uh, calls uh, per, you know, every day. Uh, but this morning we, we basically woke up at around uh, 3,000 and we are pushing to ensure that it goes um, to an acceptable level of about 1,000 calls, especially during this uh, weather, um, this kind of weather, but also the fact that we are already moving towards period 
where most of our plans around winter are basically kicking in. This includes uh, the, the, the deployment of more resources, as I mentioned, but also ensuring that material is available because most of these outages are, uh, were outstanding because of the material was basically getting, uh, uh, you know, finished more than we can replenish. And it's, like I say, because of this load shedding that we have been really struggling in terms of keeping up at some point, we had to use, in fact, so far we have already used about 27,000 uh, cable Um This is the number that we normally used uh, in a three-year period. So it gives you an idea of mm. the amount of um, uh, uh, material that we basically need. And that's why and this is material that is really costly. And that's why we have really also pushed on the issue of revenue collection to ensure that we get every cent that mm. we need and we invest it in maintenance and ensure, and ensure that our residents actually do have life. Isaac, thank you very much. Isaac Magena, City Power spokesperson, speaking to us there about uh, it's the impact of load shedding, right? So as he says, every time there's load shedding, there's a knock-on effect. The infrastructure is impacted as well. Just a, a personal anecdote. So Kamagwini Mabovana, who produces the Midair Report, uh, was telling me um, that she hasn't had power for three days and had to throw out everything that was in her fridge. Uh, and that costs people money. It is frustrating. And I'm sure many of you can, can that resonate with you. You can relate to that kind of experience. And unfortunately, that is the picture. When we have load shedding for extended periods of time and uh, at the stage that we're in currently, it affects all of the infrastructure, the knock-on effects as well. The Midday Report. In the latest episode of Politricking with Tidi Madia, Rise Mzanzi Sungezo Zibi has uh, been speaking to her, joining her in studio this week. The national leader of Rise Mzanzi discussing its campaign following the launch of the party last month, why 2024 is this generation's 1994 and trying to change how South Africans engage and participate with their political players. Tidi joining us now to speak about it. Tidi, good afternoon to you. Sungezo Zibi, very much uh, the new kid on the block. Very exciting. Uh, a lot of uh, hype around the launch, launch of Rise Mzanzi. What's he been saying about uh, the latest incident in the news, uh, the fallout over Russia? Good afternoon, Mandy. You know, Songhez Ozibi, I must first speak about how their politics in essence are so different. They want to see a change, a more progressive approach. So I asked them about the role of liberation politics because our governing party is very much steeped in who helped South Africa get to democracy, who were the ANC's friends. And I said, what would you do differently if you found yourselves in the middle of the quagmire that the ANC government finds itself in with the United States and the claims that are being made as far as the Russia matter is concerned, Mandy? And this is what he had to say about trying to manage those kind of relationships and what's important to move away from struggle politics. So the ANC had two friends, big friends in the 80s, right? Mm. It was the Soviet Union. It was Sweden. By 1987, the Soviet Union couldn't give the ANC a cent because it was bankrupt. Sweden was giving the ANC about $30 million a year. In 1980s money, that's close to $200 million. Sweden is feeling threatened by Russia itself. So how does the ANC choose between these two historical friends? Who to support? You understand? You can't do these things on historical sentiment because you are bound to be dishonest. Which is where we are. At the Which moment. is where we are right now. Hmm. And then, of course, Tiri, this issue of, of coalitions, and we see the smaller parties playing the role of kingmaker time and time again. What is uh, Songhezo saying about those who want to see Rise Mzanzi join forces with Musi Maimani's Bosa, Herman Mashaba's Action SA? What's his response to that? 
before I even touch on that, man, I just want to quickly flag that he also has to be realistic. And that's something I kept asking him about. Where will his party go? And he says, for them, it's not about 2024. It's got to be about transforming South African politics and beyond. And as I said, but there's a lot of conversation and thoughts that you make a greater impact on the political landscape if you held hands with various parties, like those that we've mentioned now, Mandy. And this is what he had to say. The other question that I've been seeing a lot of people asking is why not join Musi Mamani's outfit? Why not join up with him and Mashaba and be more powerful as a collective? So, Hemi uh, and Mashaba talks about the death penalty as an example. Let me give, just give you one example. A fundamentally important issue. Okay, we don't even want to go there. Death penalty? No. We have a constitution. It says no death penalty. Don't start tinkering with the constitution when it suits you because that gorilla will tell on you because we'll want a whole lot of other things changed in the constitution. So let's not do that. That's one example. Another example that people make. So in Bosa's proposition, by the way, there is a proposition to give parents control over their kids' education by giving them vouchers. Do you know what that means? It means defunding public education. We don't stand for that. A social democratic outlook, the very basis of it, is public infrastructure and facilities accessible to all of the public. Now, people say these things loosely and say, why not join with them? Without really examining whether at a fundamental principle level do these people say the same thing? That is Songezo Zibi speaking to Tidi Madea on Politricking. It's available on ewn.co.za or on all your major streaming platforms. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know. This is the Midday Report.